Grant, O Lord, that thy word only may be spoken and thy word only may be received. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. As we've been making our way through the season of Lent, two things have been with me, have been on my mind. One is the subject of grace before meals, and the other is economics. I got around to thinking about grace before meals one day several weeks ago as I sat down to take my breakfast. A breakfast that consisted of one fried steak biscuit. A big, doughy, buttery, salted and seasoned fried steak biscuit. Now to complement this fried steak biscuit, I got a large Diet Coke. Now, put aside for a moment the irony of eating a fried steak biscuit with a Diet Coke. My conscience was pricked, as it were, by the grace before meals that my mother had taught me. Bless, O Father, these thy gifts to the nourishment of our bodies, and bless us to thy service. It was the clause to the nourishment of our bodies that pricked at my conscience. Sitting there at my desk in the parish office, a big buttery fried steak biscuit laying in front of me, and a soft drink filled with all sorts of chemicals and artificial sweeteners to the side, there I was asking God to bless these things that they may nourish my body. And something seemed off. Nourishment. Nourishment. The root and meaning of nourishment comes to us originally from the Latin word nutrere, which is to feed, to nurse, to foster, to support, to suckle. The word literally means she who gives suckle, mother's milk, leche de la madre. Now, most all of us know the benefits of mother's milk. It's essential for infants. Its benefits are well known and have been throughout time and history. Strengthens an infant's immune system, their psychological stability. It strengthens them and helps them to grow and to form into strong and well-adjusted people. Throughout the ages, mother's milk was seen almost as life itself. And here I was, asking God to bless these things that they may be to me as mother's milk. Now, I'm not going to lie to you, I love a good steak biscuit. Always will. I also enjoy Cokes and Diet Cokes. But the idea that these things are nourishing, equal to mother's milk, is stretching it a bit. Now, the other thought that's been rattling around in my head is economics, economia. I know that my vocation to the priesthood dictates that I keep my mind on heavenly things, but I'm fascinated by economic theory because of what it says about people. Now, some people have said, historians, economists, academics, have said that we in the United States live in what is called a post-industrial society. That is to say, it's been said by some that we live in a society whereby the services sector 
produces more wealth than the industrial sector. It's argued, they say, that we produce more wealth by knowledge, that is technology, science, creativity, arts, entertainment, and the like, rather than by producing widgets. This post-industrial society is also generally considered to be wealthy, and sometimes these post-industrial societies are termed consumer societies. Post-industrial societies, it is said, have wealth enough for their people to generally consume goods and services rather than producing them. Consumers. Now, as a general rule in this company, in this country, excuse me, we don't make our own food. None of us are so solely self-dependent or self-independent. We don't make our food. We don't make our clothing, not all of it. We don't build our own houses for the most part. We don't make our own medicines and those kind of things. We purchase them. We consume them. To further make this point, we do not even teach our poor how to make their own clothing, how to grow their own food, how to build their own house, or other basic necessities of life. Rather, we try and make the goods and services economical for our poor. We help our poor learn to consume efficiently and effectively. We help them come out of poverty so they may consume. Now, when the Honduras Medical Mission leaves this next February, we will not do that. We'll do a different thing. We will help the Hondurans learn to be better farmers, more productive farmers, better husbandists, take better care of their animals, and industrialists. What little trade they have, we will help bolster, help improve. So we'll not help them become more efficient consumers Rather, our team will try and help them become better agrarians and industrialists. So this idea of being a post-industrial consumer leads for some to this point, to even say that we consume ideas and meanings, identities, that there's no longer one American culture or society that we submit to that is inescapable from us, but that within these United States, there are many different groups and many shared meanings. So just as we consume goods and services like television, clothing, we also choose and we consume ideas, images. All of these things that we consume, construct, they form and shape our own identities. So we now choose and buy our identities, it is argued. This also means that there are many different ideas floating around out there, not just one American ideal, but many American ideals, many images, many identities, all competing for our conception. Modern individualism at its best. So, mother's milk and post-industrial economics. With these things in mind, I propose a thesis this morning, brothers and sisters in Jesus, that not all things provide nourishment. Or to use the words of the kindergarten teacher at St. John's Day School, we may make good choices or we may make bad choices. All food is not healthy. Not all images 
not all identities are nourishing. We can, if we choose, consume things that will damage, distort, and even kill us, body and soul. So it's through this lens, beloved, that I ask that we approach this morning's gospel lesson, the famous parable of the prodigal son. The parable concerns three persons, really. The father who has a wealth in a land that is undiminishing and his two sons. We are told by the scriptures that one of the sons asked for his share of his father's possessions. Father, give me the share of property that falls to me. The father obliges the son and divides his living in two. The same son that asks for his inheritance early does an interesting thing, I think. He takes what is given him and he leaves. He ventures into a far country. In essence, or at least you could see, you can make the argument that he becomes a consumer. He doesn't produce anything any longer. He consumes things. And he's not a very good consumer either. We learn that he squanders his property in loose living. Now, many times we sort of braze over that really quickly. But stop for a moment and think, what does that look like to squander your property in loose living? I imagined that he began to buy more and more things and more things and more things and was never satisfied. I imagined him spending more and more money and never being content. I imagined his hunger only growing and growing. I imagined his appetite growing day after day, month after month, becoming ravishing. No matter what this man consumes, it is never enough. A house that is never big enough, good enough, furnished sufficiently, clothes that never say enough about who he is or what status he holds, no relationship does he ever have that leaves him feeling good about himself and loved and complete and whole. No matter what he does, no matter where he goes, no matter what he spends, he lacks identity. He is malnourished. Nothing this man does in this faraway land gives him nourishment. He goes into a fevered pitch of consumption. He tries everything to gain identity, to find nourishment. He tries everything to be happy. But the story ends thusly. He loses all his wealth. He is absolutely and utterly alone. Without identity, does not even know who he is. Famished in a wasteland. Friendless. After he spent every dime he has, he has nothing of value to show for it. Not even a friend to take him in totally alone in the world and without any value to anyone in the world. So finally he attaches himself to a citizen of that land and becomes the lowest of the low. He feeds the swine, feeding animals that were, to his culture, considered unclean and not even worth of a worth to be eaten. He finds himself in such poor shape that he looks at the slop with which he feeds the pigs and comes to himself, realizes that what he is feeding the swine is more nourishing than what he is given in that land, than what he has been given the whole time he is in that land. Starving 
malnourished, he limps home in the hopes that his father will take him back as a slave or a servant. At least as a servant he knows he will finally find nourishment, finally be given identity. The parable ends this morning with the father not only taking him back, but running to meet him, pulling out all the stops, having a great feast in his honor, and receiving him as a son once again. The nourishment he receives is more than he could have ever dreamed of or imagined. Now it should be obvious to us that the land of the Father is God's kingdom. A land that is never in want, no matter how many times it is divided. It is a land of love and forgiveness and mercy and nourishment beyond what anyone can dream or imagine. The faraway land is the world, full of things that are not nourishing, that never satisfy our desires and never give us an identity as son or daughter, that never love us but only use us and manipulate us. My beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, as we contemplate mother's milk, and economics in the post-industrial world, do not forget the words we have heard today in the gospel of our Lord. We're consumers. We can buy most anything we want, even in identity. But be on your guard, for there are things in this world, images, identities, and ideas that will never fill our hunger and will only kill us, body and soul. If we are not careful and thoughtful, we could very well end up saying grace over slop for swine. Nor this day should we forget the mercy of God. This lesson should etch it in our brains. Nor should we forget the mercy that is found within his kingdom, that is found within his church. For no matter to what land we have journeyed, no matter what we have done to ourselves or to others, no matter what we have done to ourselves or to others, if we come seeking nourishment and health and wholeness, if we come seeking mercy, it will be found here. If we come seeking forgiveness, it will be given. God in Jesus Christ will not only receive us as beggars seeking a meal, but as daughters and sons for whom the greatest of feasts is in order. So let us resolve this day, beloved, to let our identity rest first and foremost in God and in his son, Jesus Christ, and in his kingdom. It is the only place that loves us, that forgives us, that nourishes us eternally. It should be our highest priority and our greatest privilege to be a part. For here, beloved, we are sons and daughters of a society whose wealth knows no depths, whose feasts are without end, and whose mercy and forgiveness are beyond anything we can desire or imagine. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.